updates from all the comics, it's I am Pat Schreuer, your host, and uh, we are so excited. We've got an amazing group of performers here. Uh, of the Comics is a new show, and we, we are combining stand-up comedy with an interactive roundtable about all things comedy, and we are going to perform that for you here tonight. Does that sound like a good time to you good people? Yeah! All right, terrific. Well, listen, uh, a few of you as I came to stage, I saw you recognize me uh, from my work as a stunt double from the most recent Nickelback music video. Yeah. <laughs> I'll sign autographs after the show. And uh, listen, I'm, I'm fully aware, we can just get this out of the way, that I'm what the Thor movies would look like if they were made by PBS instead of Marvel. <laughs> a, few of you, a few of you looking at me, you're like, no, Pat, you look like genetic engineers took the DNA from Barbara Streisand, Will Ferrell, and a golden doodle and put it into a 39-year-old man boy. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you something. If you had that thought, you might be right. And here's why. Because I was raised by a single mother who conceived me with artificial insemination. Yeah, that's not a joke. I wish it was every Father's Day. <laughs> uh, prior to being a comedian, uh, your old buddy Pat, I was, uh, I was in the corporate world. And my job title, I was, I was an international sales manager. See how I did that right there? I want to tell you something. Anytime somebody tells you their job title and wave their arm like that, it just means, this is a load of garbage. <laughs> I was really good at my job, not because I was hardworking, uh, just because I had no problem following men into the restroom at conferences to ask for their business cards. <laughs> and uh, listen, I, I gave it all up for comedy. I had the career, I was very unhappy in life, and I decided I, I walked away, and there's a couple differences in the lives of a comedian and the lives of an international sales manager. <laughs> and for example, in, uh, when I would tell people in the corporate world that I was leaving, to pursue my dream of comedy, everyone said, yes, Pat, that's amazing. You inspire me. I wish I could do what you do. And then I would tell veteran comedians that I left a successful career to pursue my dream of comedy. And every single one of them said, terrible idea, buddy. <laughs> but I got to say, I'm doing pretty well uh, with comedy. And I know that because every night I perform for two well drinks a night. <laughs> so excited. Ladies and you a fantastic crowd. We're going to bring our next performer coming out of Los Angeles, California. Please give a very warm welcome to Miss Angel Gates. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hi. First of all, I'm proud of myself. I am a survivor of the pandemic being single. Yes, it's a lot of us in here. Boy, wasn't that hard? And you know who was so disrespectful to us? Customer service reps. Yeah, they had no idea what we were going through. I had to, you know, call and upgrade my Wi-Fi. He gonna answer the phone like this. Thank you for calling AT&T. This is Derek. How may I assist you? I was like, ah! Like, why am I acting like this on the phone? I just do. 
I was like, I just want to upgrade my Wi-Fi. He was like, yeah, that's what happens when more than one device is trying to access the system. I was like, it's just one device, Derek. Ah! <laughs> it's just one. <laughs> y'all, Derek is married and in Texas. <laughs> Why y'all didn't tell me these people don't live in our area? And you know what I did? For him catfishing me, <laughs> I stayed on the line and did that survey. Gave him the worst results I could think of. That's right, you're not gonna ruin my life, Derek, exactly. And I'm proud to say he works for Walmart now, yes. Yes, and then you guys are probably wondering, why does this lady need Wi-Fi so bad? Because during the pandemic, I found out I was an essential worker, I'm an elementary school teacher. Yeah, thank you, most of you. Most of you are clapping, because you know we only make $400 a month, so yeah. Thank you, I appreciate that. And then we had to do the whole Zoom learning, and that was crazy, y'all, because it took prayers and affirmations and energy crystals for me to wake up in the morning <laughs> and to look good from the waist up, <laughs> to teach 25 eight-year-olds on a laptop. Do you know how tempting it was to just close the laptop and walk off my job? You know what I mean? Like, that's all I had to do. You get what I mean? So you know what's great about teaching, though? We have the greatest trainings. And I had to go to training, and I learned that African Americans, we have our own language. And it is the most beautiful thing. I was like, I'm bilingual. I've always wanted to be bilingual. <laughs> Some of y'all don't look like believers, but I'm going to give you an example. You know, like negation, you know, in standard English, you only need one you know, negative to make the, the sentence negative. But in African-American home language, the more negatives you put in the sentence, the more you change the context and the meaning of what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you an example. We have a sentence, standard English, you don't have money. Standard English, what that mean? You don't have money. African-American home language, add another negative, change the whole meaning. You don't have money, add a negative. You don't have no money. <laughs> See, that don't mean the same thing, does it? That mean we in the grocery store, you putting stuff in the cart. We get to the checkout stand, I'm looking at you, you looking at me, you don't have no money. Add another negative. You don't never have no money. That's the second time you did this, isn't it? You get what I'm saying? Add another negative. You don't never have no money no more. That's called unemployment. <laughs> you guys have been a delight. I'm Angel Gaines. Thank you so much. Give it up for your host, Pat Angel Gaines, keep it going for her, everybody. Yeah. All right, we're going to keep the show moving. Our next performer, also here from Los Angeles, please give a very warm welcome, Miss Dana Eagle. This is nice. This is good. Oh, it's so good to be out. So nice to go back to, you know, hating everyone in person. Oh, so good. That was worth being vaccinated for. Um, and I use that term loosely because I got Johnson & Johnson, so uh, I could have just had some Robitussin. I don't know what you're laughing at front row. You might want to move back there. But it's so funny because before I got vaccinated, everybody said to me, Dana, are you scared? Are you scared to be vaccinated? And I was like, uh, I'm a gay bipolar Jew with a lazy eye. <laughs> What's a vaccine gonna do to me? 
I grew up in New Jersey. We ate fast food with the hormones in it. No meat, just hormones. I went through puberty in second grade. I'm like, bring it on, vaccine. Show me what you got. I tell my family I'm anti-vax just so that I don't have to see them. Doesn't work. I should have known. I should have known that they would not be troubled by modern science because my mom smoked, quit smoking on the day I was born. That's right. She quit smoking the day I was born. You got it. She knew about the dangers of secondhand smoke, so she thought she'd just mainline it to me for nine months. And then growing up, everyone's like, Dana, you're so thin. And I was like, no, I am Virginia Slim. That's how I got my lazy eye. This side of the room knows. Uh, yeah, sorry, these things, I'm nearsighted too. Nearsighted means you can't see things far away, like happiness. Uh, people who are farsighted, they can see happiness, but only when it's just out of reach. Uh, nearsighted, farsighted, very confusing terms, right? Very confusing terms. Whoever came up with that was very short-sighted. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy. Though I was uh, diagnosed with a bipolar disorder. Anybody else? If you're bipolar and you know it, clap your hands. That was great. That was awesome. We could compete against each other. We could go through all the diseases. Schizophrenic, that's fantastic. Try this, one little, two little, three little lithium, four little, five little, six. My brother was so excited when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. He's like, come on, let's go to Vegas and count cards. I was like, that's autism, you idiot. That's the wrong disease. Instead, he bought me a mood ring, but it died of exhaustion. I have a, I don't know, what you, I have bipolar two disorders. Bipolar one, bipolar two. A sequel, never as good as the original. Uh, Mostly, it's a lot of depression, um, you know, but a lot of people are suffering from the depression now. That's what they say. A lot of people are suffering. They did a, a study that said 80% of us suffer from depression. Where are you? 80% suffer from depression. The other 20% of you cause it. <laughs> you know who you are. That's right. I love my meds, though. I can't wait till my pills are on Amazon, and it goes, people who bought Xanax also bought. <laughs> that would be great. I don't know, I guess probably because I had trouble, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, my parents, they sent me to a gay conversion camp. Yeah, but it totally worked. I've been gay ever since. <laughs> That's right, I'm an LGBLT. <laughs> gay and tasty. Um, we just keep adding letters to mess with you guys. We're like, screw it, we took all the colors, why not the letters? <laughs> Watch out, numbers, we'll come in for you next. So you got you took that very well. You took it much much better than my family. Because um, I never know, I never know how to reveal that information to people. I don't know how to disappoint all you fellas. Um, okay, you guys laughed a little too hard at that. No, but like my gynecologist asked me. He said to me, "What are you using for birth control?" And I told him, "Girls." And he's like, "That works." Actually, during the pandemic, I stayed on birth control, but just to remember what day of the week it was. <laughs> yeah, pretty good, huh? But uh, I want to get married. You know, I'm single. I want to get married because I'm getting older. I know I'm getting older because I just got my first piece of turquoise jewelry. 
And, um, <laughs> but here's the thing, I thought like once I came out, I thought picking up girls would be easy. I thought it would be so easy. I was like, men do it, how hard could it be? It turns out it's really hard, right you guys? My dad had some good advice for me though. He said, you know Dana, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. Finding a mate is like finding parking at the mall. Sometimes you gotta just pull in and go, this is as close as we get. <laughs> you guys have been a delight. Thank you so much. Get an eagle, buddy. on Zoom, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Staying has really fell off during that pandemic, right? Work from home. Because work from home is hard. Like they say, working from home is like doing two jobs at the same time. And for me, that's definitely true. Because I do my job while constantly applying to others. <laughs> my boss will always tease me, you better not be on Facebook at home. I'll be on LinkedIn laughing like, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I hate it here. I'm trying to leave actively, trying to get out. I work in recruiting, yeah. But here's why, because I love giving people hope and taking it away. That's the whole job, that's... <laughs> I am Indian, and I love being Indian because we do all the same stuff, you know? Like we celebrate the same holidays as everyone else. We just put our own spin on it. Like for Thanksgiving, instead of going around and saying we're thankful for, my family just went around the table and told me things I need to improve on. <laughs> I remember one Thanksgiving is particularly ruthless. Why aren't you married? Why don't you have a job? Why do you still live with your parents? Because I'm 12, Grandma. Why are we having this conversation? <laughs> seems, seems a little soon. The thing is, though, being Indian, you get out a lot of things, which is nice. You get, you get a pass. Like, I remember when I was a kid, we had to swim for gym class. I don't know if you guys did do this. And meet a bunch of brown kids didn't want to swim. So we forged a letter from a local mosque <laughs> stating that we weren't allowed to swim due to religious Islamic beliefs. Yeah, we even included a phone in the letter that the school could call to verify at the mosque. And we had kids cover the phone and take shifts. We were so Indian, we started a call center. <laughs> And that's high level. Obviously nobody called. Could you imagine the stress of that phone conversation? The principal's like, hey, this is Mr. Razak at Hill Middle School up the street. Yeah, I'm just calling to verify. Um, do, you guys, do you guys allow water? Um, I know during Ramadan it's like illegal or something. I just, I wasn't sure, because you guys, you guys wear towels, right? Oh my God, I'm so sorry, that's what they're called. Uh, you know, I just forgot I called, never forget I called. Let me forget I called. Oh Jesus, I mean all that, praise God, shalom, bye. So. <laughs> So we got out, got out of swimming, didn't have to do it. And the craziest part about that story is, I'm not even Muslim, I'm Hindu, but nobody checked. I'm like, whatever, same thing, get him out of here. You guys have been great. My name is Big Pani. Thank you so much. Big Pani, everybody, huh? It's terrific. All right, we've got two performers left for the first half of the show. Are you ready to keep it going, everybody? Yeah. Terrific. 
Please welcome to the stage right now, Miss Maggie DiPaolo! Keep it going for Pat, you guys. You guys, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'm a mom, I have four kids at home, I'm excited to be anywhere. <laughs> I, I survived the pandemic uh, with my husband and my four kids. I feel like that makes me a little bit of a hero. Any, any moms in here tonight? I thought, I thought I could smell the syrup on a couple of you guys. <laughs> Nothing can prepare you for that much cooking and cleaning. Like nobody told us for two years everybody was gonna be at home. The best way in describing a mom during a pandemic, it's like a woman that works at a, like a truck stop diner like a really terrible diner. You know the diner where you walk in, it looks like the, the waitresses um, are working against their will. <laughs> <laughs> the food is bad, the customers are rude, but you can't quit because you have kids with the owner. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's like. I'm turning 40 this year. Uh, I'm excited about that. I don't think it, like, thank you. Um, <laughs> No one even clapped. I was just like, thank you. I'm noticing like some small signs of aging. Um, like I have a couple gray hairs. I'm, I'm getting mad when people park in front of my house. <laughs> like I'm not that old yet. Like I don't have enlarged font on my phone, but I do write my name on my Tupperware. <laughs> I feel especially old at work though, because all the girls I work with, they're in their early 20s. Now, all the girls I work with, they're on all the apps. They're like, where can we learn more about you and your comedy? Are you on, on like TikTok or Snapchat? I'm like, no, I'm on my chart. <laughs> I have nine of those accounts. Um, if you want to slide into my DMs, we could talk about my leaky gut and my brown spots. Now, I feel like the, the hardest part about getting older as a woman is shopping. Um, I don't know, ladies, if you've noticed, um, the fashion industry is no longer making regular whole shirts. Everything is cropped. <laughs> like, I don't know why we're showcasing the midsection in the Midwest all year round. <laughs> it's freezing here. We eat nachos out of baseball helmets. Um, <laughs> I was at a bathing suit store down in Miami. I was like, do you guys have anything full coverage? I might as well have been asking the lady if they had a payphone. <laughs> she was trying to help me find my fish. She's like, where do you swim? Beach, pool, resort? I was like, lady, I swim near my uncle's. <laughs> you got anything back there? So if I bend over, my father-in-law can't see my small intestine. <laughs> Uh, I recently moved to a new area where we don't know anybody, um, and twice now we've been asked if we're from Boston, <laughs> which we're not, uh, but two of our four kids can't say they're ours. <laughs> At all. <laughs> they are like, come on, let's get in the car and go to the park. <laughs> and they're not toddlers, it's not cute baby talk, they're actually in middle school, it's like a problem. <laughs> Our youngest son has it the worst. If he's trying to say fork, he's like, can somebody get me a fork, please? <laughs> Which I did some research, and when kids get older, um, it, it's a lot harder to repair speech, and it's actually very expensive. It's like $10,000 per kid. <laughs> Which is expensive, but there are kids. Um, so I do, I do what's best. Um, I got a s couple Boston Red Sox sweatshirts, and now we're from Boston. <laughs> you guys, I'm Maggie DePaul. Thank you so much for having me.
Powell, everybody. All right, real treat to have our next performer on. Please keep it going for Mr. Calvin Evans! We beat COVID. We beat it. And by beat it, I just mean we're not afraid of it no more. Remember when COVID first hit, we was looking out our window every day like, it is outside. Look at it, it is out there. You get a package, don't touch it. Leave it there, spray it, and if it's there tomorrow, we can bring it in. Don't touch that package. I miss coughing so much. Don't y'all miss coughing? <laughs> don't y'all miss the ha ha ha. I mean, don't y'all, some of y'all like, hey, we just got free. What are you doing? Stop. I don't even cough no more. I just elongate my cough. I'm like, ha You okay? I'm good. I'm good. Ha ha I turn it to spit. I'm not sick. Y'all realize COVID kills CPI? Ain't no more CPI. Somebody can pass out right now. We'll be like, that's crazy. He just died. <laughs> he is dead. Is there a doctor in the house? Yeah, time of death, 745. He's not getting up. You can't help him. Best thing you can do for people nowadays is pump their chest like an air mattress. Like, yeah, he's he not getting up. Get him out. Get him out. I did what I could. Get him out of here. I caught COVID. I was in denial. Oh, I was in hard denial. Hard to now. I was like the person in the zombie movie that got bit but didn't want to tell nobody. They just walk around looking at their arm hole. You okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm gonna go look for some supplies. I'm gonna look for some supplies over here. I was making stuff up. I had like a bad cough. I didn't know it was a COVID symptom. I was just making stuff. I was like, you know what? I probably was just talking too much yesterday. That's what that is. I was talking. Went to sleep, woke up, I had the chills. I was like, man, this Chicago weather is crazy, ain't it? I need to keep a jacket on me in July, you know? I broke down, I was like, I'm take a test. If you never took a COVID test, this is how long the Q-tip is. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Not okay, what you finna do with that? That's what I wanna know. They don't put no line or nothing on the thing to be like, hey, stop right here. They don't, none of that. It's at the discretion of the person putting it in your face. They come in, ha, ha! They took two memories out of my head. I'm not messing, I'm not joking. <laughs> I don't remember being seven years old at all. My family showed me pictures like, you don't remember going to Disney World? I'm like, that's not me, man, get out of my face. I was six and then I was eight, forget y'all. I went to one of them pop-up COVID spots. You know, I remember like all them stores that was like closed down, it was just pop-up COVID, free test. I, and I went there and I knew it was, it, was, it was garbage because when they sent me my results, they didn't call me or email me. They sent me a text message. They said, you got it, fam. I was like, who is this? And how do you know my pronouns? Who is this? I didn't realize how much white people like dogs. <laughs> and so I saw that viral video last year of that girl pushing a bear off a fence. Did y'all see that video? She pushed a bear off a fence to save our dogs. If you didn't see the video, it was like a, like a backyard ring like camera. Dogs playing in the backyard. And then slowly, a bear slowly starts climbing over the fence. Now, if I'm in that situation, I'm like, hey, get, hey, hey, forget it. You in the guy's hands. I'm locking the door. I'll buy another dog. But she saw that, she was like, not today! And she ran and two-hand pushed the bear off the fence. The bear was falling, but like, I'm a bear. Like, that's how surprised he was. <laughs> you know how sad that walk was, back to the woods for that bear? He walking, his paw shaking, like, yo, what just happened to me back there, man? I could have growled, I could have scratched so many things. He get back to the woods, his bear friend's like, hey, where the, where the, where the dogs at? He's like, man, I was gonna get the dogs, right? And when I was climbing the fence, I slipped and sprained my ankle. And they're like, no, we saw her push you. What are you talking about? You can't hang with us no more. Go hibernate. Leave your fur here. That's how much people love dogs. That's how much people, dog people make some noise. Where my dog people at? Yeah. 
Okay, okay. Well, my cat people, cat people make some noise. Where y'all at? Okay, that's what's up. All right. I asked that question about cats one time. Somebody booed cats. I was like, man, why you boo cats? He was like, they sneaky. Really? They sneaky? I've never in my life left my wallet around a cat, came back, and $25 was just missing out my wallet. Where's my money, cat? Hey, animals, just say you got a preference. I understand that. More people like dogs than cats because dogs make you feel love. You go home tonight, that dog see you, that dog excited. <laughs> Tail wagging, make you feel love, make you feel needed, right? But cats are different. Cats want you to want them, but they don't need you to want them. <laughs> if you don't understand cats, you will never understand Kanye West. It is the most complex, <laughs> it's the most complex thinking. I love cats, they're independent. I love them, they're independent. I know they're independent because I've never in my life seen a cat with a homeless person, ever. As soon as you mess your life up and land on the street, that cat like, you stupid, I'm getting out of here. I'm gonna figure this out. Climb this tree, they gone. But you see dogs and homeless people all the time, like, you gonna bounce back, baby, any day now. No, no, I believe in you. I believe, no, write the screenplay. Write the screenplay. You right, they wrong. I'm so hungry. Stupid dog. You guys have been great. I'm Calvin Evans. Thank you. Calvin Evans, everybody! Oh, I tell you, you guys are terrific. That's the first half of the show. Uh, everyone watching at home, now you're going to learn a little bit about Zanies. Everyone here, you're going to watch us put chairs on stage. Founded in November 1978 by the legendary Rick Hewitt, Zany Chicago has enshrined itself as one of the most recognizable comedy club brands on earth. In their 44 years of operation, they've been a major influence on the success of stand-up legends like Sam Kinison, Richard Lewis, and Jerry Seinfeld, just to name a few. The showroom boasts countless signed headshots of past and present headlining comedians, making this club one of the most sought-after stages for comics and fans alike. When you're in Chicago, you've got to go to Zany's. All right, everybody, how, how we, what do we think about that, yeah? yeah? Terrific. Welcome to the second half of the show. So uh, I'm going to start us off with one question, and then we're going to open it up to the audience. and Kind of like a TED Talk, Actors Roundtable, uh, just uh, so we get to, little, get to know a little bit more uh, about everybody. So uh, the question I'm going to start with, and I'm going to start with you, Dana, and this is for all of us, is uh, when did you first get started in comedy, or how did you get started in comedy? And uh, when did you first call yourself a comedian? I, I was in musical theater. I was asked to leave. And uh, I was actually on a tour of a show. And like after four months of being on a tour, they're like, you know what, you can't. I was in the only non-singing role. And they're like, you know what, you can't sing. And you're obnoxious to be on a bus with. Go try stand-up. And I did. And then I was like, ah, oh, this feels right. And I don't have to travel with all those people. So this is better. And I started calling myself a comic on... Pro well, probably when my parents realized I'm not a lawyer, so. Was that a hard conversation for you to have with them? Um, you know, it, a little, mm, the ones since then have been a little harder, like, because everybody uh, has advice, you know, well, maybe it's just my family, but, uh, and I thought it was because of comedy, but they just have advice about everything. And um, my mom has this magnet on the fridge that says, if you want to give your kid advice, ask them what they want to do and then tell them to go do it. But that magnet is a lie, because <laughs> she does not do that, or they have like ideas on how I could do it better. So, you know, like, because they're business people, so they're interested in the commerce of things. 
that, yeah, the money thing. Don't really make a lot of money no, when we start doing do. comedy, no. do we? Oh. Maggie? Yeah. So I started in comedy about four years ago. I took a class at the Lincoln Lodge here in Chicago. It's a femcom um, intro to stand-up. And it's six-week course. At the end of it, you, you get like a grad show. You invite your friends and family, and then you get a clip. Um, so it kind of just gives you the whole roundabout of what stand-up is and writing. Um, and I got hooked, and uh, I've been doing it ever since. Um, when did I start calling myself a comedian? I think the first time I got, I, I was paid for something, paid for a gig, um, versus just doing open mics and kind of hustling and, and practicing. The first time somebody, you know, asked me to do something and was like, here's $4, which is what you get paid. <laughs> um, I was like, this, um, I think that's when I started to use the word comedian or comic. Once you get the money, that's a, that's a big step because normally, I made a joke about the well drinks. Normally you go somewhere and they're like, oh, we'll give you two beers. And that's, that's your yeah. whole payment. And you've, you've paid $40 in Ubers. You've been yelled at eight times by people outside. Yep. And you've questioned your whole life. Drove two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That first $4, you'll always remember. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Calvin, you want to take this? Uh, the first time I did comedy, I was in college. It's my junior year of college, 2006. Somebody told me, a friend of mine was like, hey, you funny. I'm doing a variety show. You want to you wanna try comedy? I was like, yeah. I, and I was going to flake on him. That was the plan. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And then when he asked me, I, w I just wasn't going to show up. But um, he followed up with me. And I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to be there. And um, I did the show. And that was like my first time on stage in front of like, like student body, like friends and people I knew. And I like, it was like, it just felt natural. And then like after that, it was like doing shows, like just hosting shows on campus. So that was like 2006. But I didn't consider myself a comedian. Cause I was just in front of like people that knew me already, so it's like, oh, that's just Calvin. You know what I'm saying? We'll laugh. He knows. You know, I talked about stuff. Uh, came back to Chicago, quit my job, started doing comedy. Even then, I would not say I was a comedian because people, if I told people I was a comedian, they'd be like, oh, when your next show is like, I, I don't know because I don't have any. <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, I'm gonna be at a bar doing comedy. If you want to just stop by, I don't know what I'm at, when I'm up. So it took until 20, 2012, I was, uh, I had started kind of making my rounds in Chicago. I started working here at Zany's. It was a club on the south side called Jokes and Notes. And I filmed a, a, like an a hour of comedy and I named it, I, I named it Comedian. Like this is me coming out as a comedian. Like I, I'm officially a comedian. I have 45 minutes of comedy and yeah, that's, that was my like six years before I called myself a comedian. Yeah, um, that's so funny because I started calling myself a comedian like the first open mic. I created, <laughs> <laughs> I created a Facebook page and everything. I had six people following that thing. No shows to speak of, no schedule, just like, hey, I'm out here. I had 42 pictures of myself as a cover photo. It was just all stitched together as like a mosaic. It was so awful. It was so terrible. Because um, I kind of, to the business piece, I. I think just working in like the professional world, I, I knew like half of this is like behind the scenes, right? Like half of it is perception, half of this is like, sh like faking it till you make it. Really, that's what half of this is. So I had all that stuff before I had any jokes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did all that, and then I also took a, I trained as at Second City as an improviser, um, you know, when I started, and I was doing that and doing stand up at the same time. But I always really wanted to do stand up, so I'm like, let me do a little bit of improv to get comfortable on stage. Ended up really liking improv, graduated Second City's program, and then started producing my own shows and just working around town, kind of like Calvin was saying, and 
once I started working clubs, and I was like, okay, now I'm actually once once you have shows you want to invite people to, that makes you a comedian. Because <laughs> there's a lot of shows we do that I'm like, you you should not come to this. This is this is just for me. This is just even me. I'm on the show. I don't want to be here. Like I, I'm not telling anybody I was ever here. You know, like. Because so many of these shows are just like, like Calvin was saying, bars, like really weird. You got to go out of town. And I'm like, this is not good comedy right now. But you need to do all that to get to shows like this where people actually came to see stand-up. So, yeah, it's been about seven years now, and I'd say now my Facebook page is over 1,000 likes, okay? <laughs> all right? We're growing. We're growing. Like I his page. I totally see Vic getting headshots done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He, he riding in his car with sunglasses on now yeah. in the nighttime. Well, my story is a little bit different. Um, I wanted to be a singer, and I signed up to be in a talent show in college. And y'all know black people can sing. And they were rehearsing. The other talent was rehearsing to the side, and I don't sing that well. And I was like, I don't want to quit. I know what I'll do. I'll tell the host, introduce me as a comedian, because in the early 90s, they never gave you a chance. If they didn't know who you were, if they said you were a comedian, boo, like immediately, right? So I was like, that's a great plan. I get to the, the, the show, the host goes, okay, everybody, we want respect. This is a freshman, give her a chance. I was like, no, what are you doing? And I got out there, y'all, and it was like, I just did Comedy 101, made a Michael Jackson and an R. Kelly joke. It was so bad. And the audience was looking at me, and some person, I wish I knew who they were, had the courage to go, <laughs> and at that moment, I don't know, it was like the Beyonce in me was like, no, you won't. And I just started, <laughs> and I just started going in on this and this, and the crowd is loving it. And then the uh, in college, you know how you have the activities coordinator? They were like, you were so amazing. George Wallace is coming next week, and you open for him. I was like, yes. And that was my very first show, was opening for George Wallace. So I didn't Must know. Must be I, nice. I, you know? <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to like really be doing this thing for real. I just thought I earned my stripes because I dodged the booing. So I don't know. I was a comedian from there on out, so. Yeah. It's uh, your old, old coach Pat up here. I was. I was an. You heard. I was an international sales manager. Yeah, international sales manager. That's. I did that with the misses on our first date. That's where that came from. So stupid. Uh, but I always love making people laugh. And I lived in Denver, and I went to their open mic program at Comedy Works, which is a phenomenal room. And I had two minutes, and uh, I was 23, and I talked about what a 23-year-old guy would talk about, which is nothing you talk about, really, and for that no one cares about. And I did well. I got great reactions. It was the greatest night of my life. I did a second show, and I did uh, five minutes, and it went great. And I immediately thought, I'm going to be the greatest comedian of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and like something to understand is like, what I did not understand at that time is to develop your material, it takes a long time. It is a lot of thought. It, it's perpetual. It never ends. And, but I thought, I'm going to come with something fresh because I'm going to be the greatest, right? 
And so I came up with a, a new bit, and then my third time, I could not have tanked harder. <laughs> and I fell off the horse for about 10 years. And, and so I did. I went into the working world because that's just what I thought was I was supposed to do that. And, and then I got super unhappy, and so I, le I just quit. I left that job, and it was tough. Like, I would have meetings with generals of foreign air forces who would have – I would have their total attention – and then I was going to open mics, where <laughs> if you haven't been in an open mic, it's one of the worst things you will ever go to. <laughs> I couldn't even get 22-year-old kids to look up from their phones, let alone the local drunk, to stop yelling at the TV. <laughs> and they checked me down real quick. And uh, it was actually Vic uh, helped me out a lot. And so I just started going to open mics. I like, I like that Vic, like, he came and did, like, an intervention, like, we're going to get you on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Like he fell off, he was like, he was like, oh, I gotta get back to comedy. He's like, no, I got, I got you, come, come with me, come with me, I got you. It, honestly, it was so funny, this is kind of how it happened. We, we, he met me at, I was working this job at the time in the West Loop, like way far out west, and we, I was like, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Instead of going to like get coffee, we just walked from the, like the West Loop all the way back to downtown. So it was just this like desolate walk, and I was just, I was like, look, it's gonna be real hard. I'm like, you're gonna want to quit all the time. And I was like, you, it was just a, it was an interesting, like we just walked and talked, and then, you know, now here he is producing a show at Zany's, so. Worked out, yeah. Thanks, buddy. All right, now that we're started, I, uh, I wanna open up the audience. So, uh, anyone in the audience wanna ask any questions here? You're right, great audience member. What would you like to ask? So uh, I feel like anytime you get a room of uh, stand-up comedians together, the war stories of bombing always come up. So what was the time that you bombed, and how did you recover from it? <clears throat> Let me tell you about yesterday. No, okay. I was just <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with this term. What right. is it? <laughs> I don't think – I can't say it. Like, I've never, like – to me, bombing is relinquishing control of my performance to the audience. That's when you bomb and when it's like, oh, y'all not laughing at that? Well, let me try to do something else. Let me try to do something else. And at that point, it's just like, oh, you bombing because you, you don't, you're, not, you don't, you're not at the reins of the, of the, of the performance anymore. Um, the one time, I think the worst performance I ever had, I was doing a show. And I don't know what technical thing this is, but sometimes you're talking to a mic and it's like a second delay. And I have a problem uh, hearing myself. So like if I'm talking right now, I can hear myself that's fine. But if I'm like, hey, and then the mic goes, hey, it's, it's messing up my rhythm. So I was doing this show and I was on stage. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? So we, um, so we, um, and I'm just like, <laughs> and like that was like every time, every time I heard myself, I would stop. So it was like messing up my timing. And I like look, I'm like looking at like the host who, who had a great opening set. And um, um, it's, it just keeps happening and to the point where I just like start, like people looking at me like, what's wrong with him? Because all they hear is what they hear, but I'm hearing myself backwards, and I, and I just had a terrible set to the point where I was like, after the show, people weren't even, they was like walking out. It was probably like 200 people, they just walking out, like they just like, just looking at me like, man, what, why, why was he here? <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm also waiting to get paid too. That's like the worst feeling where it's just like, it's like, <laughs> can, I, can I just get my money so I can get out of here? I appreciate if I can. Your four bucks. Yeah, my four dollars, let me get my four dollars. But yeah, that's probably my worst performance. Uh, so bombing is part of it, right? And I think, um, <laughs> not for everybody up here, I think, so I played sports, uh, you played basketball. I think the, the best way to describe like bombing is, um, you know, or you have a great show that's like scoring the winning basket, 
when you bomb, it's like scoring the winning basket in the wrong basket <laughs> for the other team. But I think that um, that's how it feels. You're like, I, I scored for the wrong team. Um, but it's part of it. I think you have to go through it a, a bunch of times, and you, you still do, but it makes the, the, the rest of it, and when it does go well, feel amazing. Otherwise, you wouldn't know the difference. Um, I bombed my worst show ever. I was nine months pregnant. Um, there was a, a show that I did out in Crystal Lake, which is 17 hours away from here. And I drove there, and I was there were seven people in the crowd. I did a 10-minute set. Nobody laughed. And I was like, I, I just want to give birth on the stage so that <laughs> that's what people will remember and not <laughs> this terrible show. That's my story. So you got a bomb baby somewhere? I got a bomb yeah. baby. You got a bomb. Uh, I baby just had Crystal her. Lake. <laughs> her name is Crystal. <laughs> yeah, bo bombing, it's like, it, that's a good way to say it. You do have to do it. Also, if you're not bombing once in a while, you're not like working on new material. You got to try stuff and say it out loud. Because a lot of times you'll write something, and then when you deliver it on stage, it comes out a little bit differently. Like the way you, you say things on a stage is different than maybe how you write it. So you have to kind of go through that process. But... I had a particularly bad one during the during the pandemic. Like, all the shows we were doing were so weird, right? They're like outdoor. They were kind of like in places that should not be doing comedy at all. And I did a corporate gig for this company, and it was a it was a real estate company. And they're like, we're gonna go to we're gonna go to Lake Michigan. We're gonna rent a boat, and we're gonna take our employees out in this boat. So this is also like the. Like, the world is shut down. I was like, should you be doing this? Like, this is, they're, they're paying me, like, a lot of money. So I was like, I guess I'll be doing this now. Like, I'm just, so we get to the boat. And I thought, like, they rented one of those, like, Wendella, like, cruises, like, those big boats. It's like a small boat. Like, it's, it's like a 10-person boat. So I'm like, where is the performance area, you know, going on? And I'm also like, I don't see a s microphone anywhere. I don't see... So I'm like, okay, this is going to be bad. I'm going to have to just yell, right? And I'm like, well, at least they're going to, like, stop the boat. And, you know, we can. <laughs> We're going 40 miles an hour. <laughs> and the guy hands me a megaphone. Like, one of those you, like, <laughs> like a search party megaphone, you know? And he was like, here, you can do your set now. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that. But I did it. And, uh, yeah, nobody laughed because you couldn't hear anything. And there was also that delay going on because you're first of all you're holding an intercom to speak into a thing, so it was awful. And then the worst was so you bomb. You, yeah, you just can't. It just visually doesn't look good. Your face is all covered. <laughs> so you bomb, and then we're out in Lake Michigan. So I can't leave. I just have to go to the other side of the boat while we just until we get back to shore. Like it was. 20 minutes of just sitting in silence. Ever, and then no one's making eye contact with you. You're just like, you're like, I should just jump off this boat right now. I should just. Well, one thing I can say is that as a comedian, when you know that you're professional, it's that you know where to perform and what to perform. And <laughs> earlier on, I did not know those two things. It was like a counselor's like type you know, uh, I don't know, event or whatever, and I got up there and I was like, okay, who's in AA? Make some noise. <laughs> and it's like, that's the what you cannot perform. Like, I didn't know about the AA culture. Like, it's all like anonymity and everything. And I'm telling people, go ahead, raise your hands. Who you at? Don't be at. Oh, so 
and they were like, oh my God. The second time where, the where, I was feeling myself on college when I, after I did the George Wallace show and people were asking me, can you do this, can you do that? And they asked me to do the 24 hour fundraiser for a sorority's dance-a-thon. And I was going up at 2.45 a.m. Imagine the sleepiness that came over them having to listen to me. Imagine them being like, oh my God, when is this going to be over? And we're in this huge gymnasium where it's not even set up for stand-up. So it was like no one was listening. They were falling asleep. So a lot of it, you know, as comedians, you, when you become professional, if this is not the um, atmosphere, then you tend to be like, you know, I'm good, you know, because you're going to set yourself up for a nice juicy bomb, so, yeah. I've never been stuck on the boat. That sounds special, but. Um, <laughs> so one way to say it, yes. I certainly had like resorts and casinos and you're kind of are like in the elevator and people are talking and they don't necessarily know that you're there. You just want to go, it was better the other night when you weren't there. And the, But then the only thing worse than that is when you have like non-comedian friends that are come and, you don't do a good job because they they know that this is all you've been doing, you know, and <laughs> and I could always they always try and make me feel better, but I could tell by their reaction because they always do this thing where they go, "Wow, I could never do what you do," and it, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I'm just like, well, apparently neither can I. So. <laughs> they just look at you with those like sad eyes, like this is your dream. Yeah, like, right. But my comedian friends now, I find. Um, like, because a lot of us know like what each of us are working on and stuff, and uh, so we'll be around the clubs and like talking to people. But if we hear our friend bombing, we'll be like, "Wait, I gotta go in and see this." Yeah. <laughs> and a friend recently told me that uh, he had his uh, recorder out and uh, he had this new joke that he did. It just died. Just the whole joke died, and he said all he could hear on there was just me laughing. <laughs> 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 I've definitely, we'll record our sets and you'll leave them and you know whose phone it is or whatever. I've definitely been like, you're doing so bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let them know it's me. Yeah. You brought up an interesting point when your non-comedian friends come. Do you get nervous when like the people close to you in life come to shows versus total strangers? Always. Always. Nobody come to my shows. <laughs> <laughs> like audience, like, uh, like you like still my, don't tell people where your shows are. Like, my, like no, like my, like my only people that that matter. Like if I like do something like big, my parents will come. But on a, on a, any average, because I do shows a lot, people just like, ah, I catch the next, but it's never the next one. They never show up. <laughs> like I put this on, like I put this on my Instagram. If it, nobody, anybody, <laughs> nobody's here. Your whole family's here. Nobody came. That's crazy. <laughs> Who are you? No. <laughs> That's my sister. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one quick bomb. I had a, the biggest bomb of my life like three months ago. And the thing is, I live in a small mountain town. And so I'm the only comedian. <laughs> And, and my obligation is to do 30 minutes. I want you to take a second, just one second, and just imagine everyone in a room hating everything you have to say. <laughs> Except for your fiance, who's laughing at how bad you're doing. 
And the worst part was that I had come up with a, a stupid Muppets joke that I thought was going to bring the house down. And she said, definitely don't do that tonight. And I said, no, I'm going to do it. This is going to be the greatest show I've ever put on by myself. I'm going to tell you, she was 100% correct. <laughs> that feeling of when the words come out of your mouth that every word you say, someone hates you more. I apologize to everyone at the show after the show. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you should ever apologize for doing bad, ever, because there's no guarantee. Ain't no guarantee in comedy. You know what I'm saying? Like, all I can do is, like, I can give you the best that I have. If you're not rocking with it, I can't, like, this is what I got. You know what I'm saying? It's not food where it's, like, it, it tastes good. It, like, funny, I get it's funny, it's funny. But sometimes, no matter, like, one person could be having the time of their life laughing, and then somebody else just, like, I don't. I don't like, you know what I'm saying? So I can't apologize to the person that didn't like it. I just gave you the best offering that I had. You know what I'm saying? But it wasn't the one person. It sounds like it was the whole town. <laughs> you right about so that. So not only should he apologize, he should have threw a parade the next no, day. No, no, he should have moved. Dude, that should've... You can't go back. That's one big boat. I'm leaving that place. You know, uh, you know I do want to ask one more. So... During the old pandemic, uh, we all did a lot. We did a lot of virtual shows. We did, uh, which is amazing. Like, uh, I, I had never met Angel. I had never met Kelvin. I had never met Dana. Basically, I got really good at meeting people on the internet. And, <laughs> and that was a big shift. That's been a common question that people have asked is, uh, how was it performing on Zoom? How did you adjust? So I want to open that up. Angel, why don't you start us off? Well, first of all, I want to give a huge thank you to Truer Labs for employing me during the pandemic with virtual shows, as well as my colleagues. You really helped us out a lot. Yes, for real. I've always learned to be in gratitude and give credit where credit's due. So virtual shows for me was a natural uh, transition because I was already teaching on Zoom. So I was already familiar with the platform, and I was already familiar with the fact that everybody on here don't want to be on here. <laughs> so I learned to be, you know, really quick and, you know, really, you know, try to be more engaging with my energy and my attitude. But um, it, it now became more like you're the cool coworker in the, you know, in the lunchroom cracking jokes. So it, it's really, you know, comfortable for me. I don't, I don't really hate it. Um, I kind of prefer it, you know. You know, I could have done this in pajamas and y'all would have never known. And I could have been watching Netflix on mute and you would have never known. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed myself. And it's, it is fun. The only thing that was really weird was, like, sometimes the shows would be at, like, 9 a.m., which is not conducive to stand-up, right? They're like, yeah, come in and do it like, our morning meeting, like our all-hands, you know? Just, like, we're going to tell everyone that they're getting a pay cut. And then you do 10 minutes, like, after that, like... <laughs> Like, it, so you never knew, like, what, what you were being thrown into, right? So you had to be, like, gregarious and happy. And, but it was, uh, you know, the nice thing was you could do, you know, four or five in a day, and, like, you could make money that way, and you didn't have to travel, you didn't no expenses. And so that was kind of nice. And, and, you know, like you were saying, it, it paid rent. You know, it really, it really helped during the pandemic. Um, I think, so uh, one of my favorite parts about doing stand-up is when I, like, get in my car and I leave my house. And my family behind me. Um, so no, I would say I, I did very early on. I think my first Zoom show was was with you, Pat. And and to your to your credit and to what you've built, it it certainly kept people you know 
to be able to afford anything. I mean, there was no money to be made. So tip of the cap to you for, for building that. And you guys, it sounds like, did a lot more. But um, they were certainly awkward. I think for me, it, it definitely tweaked kind of this new muscle of, of writing, right? Like, as you said, it was more storytelling versus, you know, the, the one-two punch. So I enjoyed that. That's, for me, was it was fun to kind of, and it was fun to be around other comics and laugh. And if, if we know anything, we all needed to laugh during those insanely dark, twisted times. Um, but then when the show ended and my family was like right there, <laughs> that was tough. <laughs> It was nice. Like we kind of formed this virtual community. I've never thought I would say those words ever, uh, and that was like the idea for all of this was because we would we would log in ten minutes early, make sure everyone's on time. Just someone's paying us to do something. Got to be professional, and we would just start talking. And many of us had never met, and then just start having a good time as a group of people who are all doing the same thing. And that was like, wow, we I think we have something here. And a lot of times, uh, people who are not comedians will hear comedians talk to each other, and they're like, you guys are so mean to each other. Uh, but it's like a, it's like a, I'm going to say love. Uh, <laughs> it is like the camaraderie of like, oh, we've been through these garbage scenarios. We all understand. And so like, we're bombing. We're going to, we're, we're telling jokes to each other. But it, for me, it, it opens up a, a muscle in my mind of like, oh, they, that's actually... As mean as that was about my dead friend, uh, <laughs> actually, that's pretty good, so I should probably use that <laughs> next time. What do you guys think about that? I think just nothing is really sacred after a while because we've been through it. Yeah, I, I think we don't have a lot of pretensions, maybe, is the thing that, yeah, we just call it like it is. And the, But there does come a point, and I don't know exactly when it happens, where you sort of go, oh, I'm no longer... Like, I'm no longer suited to be around civilians anymore. Like, I, 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 you could sort of see people's faces when you make comments, and, oh, that's for my comedian friends. I shouldn't. Well, I think what people really don't really realize is that many comedians, uh, speak for myself, we're introverted. And so, like, nine times out of ten, I'm a wallflower just observing and not really saying much, especially, you know, before you perform. But when we are, like, you know, at the end, you always have a comedian, I think, who has a bigger personality who's, like, can make comics laugh, and we call those the comics comics. Um, and they can just go on for hours and hours and hours. But our brains, I think, too, just are just inappropriate. Like, we can be at a funeral... <laughs> We could be at a funeral and write nine jokes, you know, right there. And I'm just like, why am I like this? You know what I mean? You know? I feel when if, if someone's not, you know, shooting, shooting the breeze with me, then I'm concerned. Like, I think when we're joking around with each other, that's like, as you said, it's like a form of love. Like, that's how we all communicate. Yeah, and also cool comics, like, we can't, we can be nice, but after a certain, like, it's only, like, a couple, like, 20 seconds. And then it's like, we got to say something funny, like, break the tension. Like, yeah. we can't, we can't have a genuine moment, <laughs> you know, with, like, it's got to be taken away by something mean. I'm not insecure, but, um, <laughs> um but no, sir, like, I, the, the joy of, like, talking to comedians is because nothing, like you said, nothing is, like, sacred, and it's like, we don't. We don't have like like boundaries. There's no boundaries in conversation. It's like, oh, we we speak in terms of comedy. Like it's the top of our brain. Like I'm trying to say the funniest thing. I a lot of comedians. We're very smart. You know what I'm saying? Outside it, it, intelligent. May not maybe not book smart, but we're very intelligent. 
No, I'm just saying, like, you have to be smart. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, to be able to tap, to, to be able to thread an entire room full of people that aren't from the same background and to be able to have, like, a, a, a line of thought that everybody gets it. Like, you have to be intelligent to do that, you know, in, ter in terms of a comedian. But to be talking to another comedian, it's just like, oh, my brain is working overtime because it's like, oh, you might be thinking something, you know, you, you two steps ahead of me. So being two, head, two steps ahead of somebody in the conversation, but also talking to people that don't have, like, Oh, I'm sensitive about something. It's like, oh, we can we can say some real messed up stuff, but but it's also like, oh, that's that's funny. But you know, we do we do. Believe it or not, we do know what a line is in terms of like being inappropriate. Up. So something we always do. We we did the show virtually. I always want the comedians to share. If you, if you saw them, you like them, you want to hear about what they're doing. Uh, Angel, let's start with you. Where do they follow you? What are you working on? Uh, Instagram at the Angel Gaines. Follow me there. I will be in Las Vegas at the Comedy Cellar next month, May 9th through the 15th. So if you're in Vegas, come check me out. Uh, Comedy Cellar in the Rio Hotel. All right. Yes. Uh, Vic Pondia, Pisces. Uh, let's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can follow me on uh, all social media at Vic Pondia. Uh, I'm dropping clips from the, my headlining set here in November every week on, on TikTok, and then also dropping them on Instagram. So all new content, stuff you haven't heard before. Uh, I can be. I'm on the road a lot. I'm uh, I'm gonna be in Fargo, North Dakota this weekend. Yeah. So I'll be there, and then. Okay, it's not the Comedy Cellar, but we're all trying. Okay. We're not all Angel Gaines. All right. Um, but then the next week, I'm going to be in Utah. I'm filming a special for Dry Bar Comedy. So I'll be doing that. Yeah. Uh, Calvin Evans, you can follow me on Instagram, at Calvin Evans Comedy. Uh, my debut comedy album dropped February this year. It's on, streaming on all platforms, so y'all can check that out. Um, if you want to see me, I'm here every single Saturday. Most Saturdays, I'm here every Saturday. I host a late, show, show, late, late night showcase. It's called After Hours. Uh, I play the piano. And we have like a like a just a, a great showcase of comics that come through from around the city, and sometimes you know visiting comics. So every Saturday night, 11 p.m. after hours, here's Annie's. You guys can follow me on my chart. I'm uh, <laughs> no, I'm on Instagram at uh, Maggie Hughes DePaul. I also produce a show. Um, in the western suburbs, uh, all that good stuff. We are uh, at the Elm in LaGrange, if you're a western suburbanite, uh, twice a month. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And I think that's it. I'm Dana. Oh, there you go. That's it. <laughs> I don't have a lot. Uh, Dana Eagle on Instagram. Uh, I also, I switch off now a little bit more between uh, writing and performing. Uh, so uh, I just... Uh, worked on the Oscars. No, I didn't write that joke. Um, <laughs> and I don't know who did, so don't ask me. And uh, and uh, I'm working with Wanda Sykes this week. And uh, and then I'll uh, thank you. Uh, I'll let her know. Uh, <laughs> and was that the whole question? It was the whole question, Dana. Okay. Dana Eagle. Yeah. Give it up for yourselves. Thank you so. So very much. Keep it going for Zanies. They did a great job for hosting us. And now, one at a time for Miss Dana Eagle, Maggie DiPaolo, Kelvin Evans, Vic Pandya, Angel Gaines. I've been your host, Pat Truer. Ladies and gentlemen, 
for being a part of Up the Comics. Get on safe. Have a good night, everybody.